Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is episode number 681 with a review of The Last Duel. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a theater near you. Oh, shit. We finally <laughs> did it. We finally did it, Stephen. This is the first... I mean, you've been to a movie more recently than just this past weekend, but this is the first time that we have come together to talk about a film that you and I both saw in theaters. And I know at the, at the moment you sat down to watch this, Stephen, you did not know um, that I was going to be watching it this weekend too. And we didn't know we'd be reviewing it, but I will say this at any point after you found out that I did watch it and we were going to review it, were you thinking about the fact that the last film we reviewed that was in theaters was also Ben Affleck was the way back Wow! <laughs> with, with Ben Affleck and Ben Affleck has brought us the way back to the theaters. Once again, we are literally doing this thing full circle and it's just, it just, it's, it's, it was very weird thinking about it. That is fantastic. I did not think of that. No, Ben Affleck <laughs> is really just, I don't want to say bookending our pandemic experience because who knows what the next movie we're both going to see in theaters is, but yeah. it is kind of nice uh, symmetry. I Wow, I like that. I didn't think of that at all. Yeah, D- didn't think of it, did not plan it. It was just a thing. At, at like we, we had booked our ticket for Sunday night, and then I thought about texting you Sunday morning just to say like, hey, by the way, we're going to go see this movie. You were talking about potentially seeing it too, just, just a heads up. We're going to see it. But I looked and like those showings were all sold out pretty much. Um, so I was like, oh, well, there's no point in telling him now because he's not going to be able to book a ticket. But then luckily you'd already seen it. Um, but anyways, yeah, what, this, this is a film. This is an in theaters film. I will say, Stephen, um, before Alamo started the movie, they have this little like film reel where they're like showing like famous yep. movies and scenes of people watching movies. Not going to lie teared up a little bit during that oh for sure i I did too uh the first time i saw it which was at titan a couple weeks ago yeah it was definitely like one of those feelings was like man back not to say i'm gonna be going to movies every weekend now i'm still not really on board that train but it just it felt good to be in a theater experiencing the thing like people coming into the theater and uh you know having booked the uh wheelchair accessible seats and just standing in the aisle waiting for somebody to bring them a chair and leaving in the middle of the theater uh, or showing, you know, all the joys you get of having a theater full of other people just felt good to be back. Right back in there. <laughs> how was the uh, how was your tolerance for the noise of people around you? Like after a year and a half plus of not having to deal with that. So outside of the one group of people who didn't have a real seat, but then had a seat and then decided to leave partway through the theater. I think for the most part, people were pretty good. Like, you know, everybody was coming in, you know, late as it was getting started. And, you know, everybody has to check their tickets and make sure they're, they're, they're in the right spot. So that was sort of like on the edge of me being like worried. But once the film started, it was, we were very settled in to, um, to everybody was kind of just watching a film and enjoying it together. There was a little bit of commotion at times in this film, but it wasn't the commotion of people disturbing the film. It was more reactions of the type mm-hmm. we got during on the basis of sex <laughs> right yep yeah so it, it was that sort of experience but but i felt decent about the way the audience performed as good theater going patrons um, what about you uh well so for me it's interesting because my this is my third movie in theaters i watched zola back at the amc in the little 
blip between the vaccines and the understanding that breakthrough infections existed. Uh, so I thought yeah. Zola would be the first of many. Um, then I waited until a couple weeks ago. I saw Titan, and that was in like the big theater at Alamo. Uh, and I had booked a seat that was in the back row, and I was literally the only person there, like in the back section. So I had no one near me at all. Yeah. Um, so I would say this was my first real Alamo experience again. Um, I was mostly fine with it. There was a guy, we were like near the corner, but there was one guy in the buffer section. So like two seats away from me. Yeah. Um, who the moment the trailer started, I heard him. He wasn't doing anything terrible, you know, completely fine person. But <laughs> I heard him when the trailer like for Come On, Come On was playing. Just go like, huh, interesting. Yeah. But, like, I, he, he was like making <laughs> self-talker. Gentle. Just gentle little noises to himself about it. I was like, oh. Then I heard the loud noise of Velcro sandals being undone. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> no. Socks were worn. I looked. I, I could check. But yes, he decided to um, relieve himself of his sandals. So, okay. Also not a great omen. You know, again, he hasn't done any no. horrific thing. But, I, I, you know, you clock someone very quickly as, are they someone who might disrupt my movie? Yes or no? Um, yeah, yeah. And with him in about 30 seconds, I knew. Um so he ordered a pizza. Um, every time he swallowed, I, f I could hear him swallowing no. and his body digesting it. <laughs> I was positive <laughs> of it. And you know how there's like powder on the crust, like when you eat a pizza? Yeah. He decided in between every bite, which he managed to take like 45 minutes to eat this pizza. He really stretched it out. He would take these fingers that have clearly never touched lotion in their lives and just like dryly <laughs> oh, rub no. them together for 30 seconds um in a kind of like like no. way and yeah th those things combined to like he didn't ruin the movie for me but like a part of my brain just knew every time he was swallowing anything and i was like i don't i don't like this guy yeah i'm not ready i'm not ready to be back around people eating like this yeah, you were about to go find King Charles and <laughs> ask him for a duel to the death to get exactly. this guy to not go to movies again. Yep. But I'm still back. It hasn't deterred me. I just, my inner Carson Patrick is here, the one who doesn't want to hear people eating while I'm watching a movie. Um, yeah. I've never felt that at Alamo. I've never felt annoyed at people eating before, but I think I'm like more tuned into minor atmospheric irritations than I was two years ago. Yeah, like usually when I'm in the theater, I, especially at an Alamo, like pre-COVID, I would eat pretty fast because I'm trying to just get the food in my mouth so I can sit and watch the movie. Because even yeah. for me, having to juggle eating in the dark is a thing that I don't want to take away from my um, field. But now that it's COVID time and I have like a mask on most of the time, it was like mask off. I had a Philly cheesesteak. I ate that probably mm -hmm. in 45 seconds instead of 45 yep. minutes and then put that mask right back on. <laughs> You're like... a man after my own heart. I did the same with my uh, Bavarian pizza at Titan. I just like nice. inhaled it in the first couple minutes of the movie. Um, this you time just put around, all the slices into one. <laughs> just... Yeah. This, because we saw an afternoon showing and Joanna hasn't done theaters before, we decided to be masks the whole time. So, like, I, I didn't order anything. I didn't have a drink. Literally yeah. kept the N95 on from beginning to end. But I do think when you get to eat, too, you're less annoyed at hearing other people eat because you're like, okay, I get it. We all did it. <laughs> Especially when you're like, mmm, 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 this is so good. <laughs>
I miss you, Alamo movie dinner. But what what are you thinking? Are you do you feel like there will be other Alamo screenings in your future? Like how comfortable did you feel? Well, I mean, we'll we'll see. I don't like we definitely because I mean, you you basically just go downstairs. <laughs> right. Yeah. I I have to drive across the city to get there. Um, and for me, we we arrived a little bit early. So we like went and sat in the bar and just like everybody's hanging out in the bar with no mask because they're mm-hmm. drinking and they don't have to. And it's kind of like I still don't feel 100 percent comfortable with it. Um, and since I haven't like I have been extremely good <laughs> during COVID. So like just just like metaphorically ripping off the mask and running hog wild into the theater scene is not sort of my jam. Like I'm still planning to, you know, project Dune next weekend. Right. Um, I'm not planning to, to, to book anything for that, but we'll see. I mean, I, I probably feel a little bit more comfortable with smaller showings of things that like, aren't going to be James Bond. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, but we'll, we'll kind of, we'll see how it goes. I'll see how I feel. Uh, you know, my, my goal is not to, even if I pick it up more often would be like, you know, like a good, like 14 day buffer between. <laughs> okay. So like no French dispatch this weekend. Yeah, probably not, but we'll see how I'm feeling. <laughs> Cool. Um, well, enough commiserating about uh, the recent past. What if we uh, have a little conversation about the, the, the you know, far, far past? <laughs> Let's do it. Does that, uh, does that work? <laughs> the transition? Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so we're here to talk about The Last Duel um, right up at the top. This is a film that deals with rape. So just putting that out there, it's going to be a thing we're going to be talking about probably a lot during the review. So keep that in mind if that's a sensitive topic for anybody listening. Um, But yeah, we're going to start by playing the trailer for The Last Duel, and then we're going to come back and give everybody a review. There is only one question that matters. Do you swear on your life that what you say is true? My father told me my life would be blessed with good fortune. I'm married. I was a good wife. And then was judged and shamed by my country. I say before all of you, I spoke the truth. A most unspeakable charge has been brought against you. Jacques Legree entered our home. He attacked me. The accusation is false. I am telling the truth. The truth does not matter. There is only the power of men. This should be settled quietly. I am innocent! I request a duel to the death. If you lose, your wife will suffer dire consequences. One of us has lied. Let us let God decide. You do not believe me. I am risking my life for you. You are risking my life so you can save your pride. (laughs) 
that you are to be burned alive. I will not be silent. All right, so that was the trailer for The Last Duel. Uh, I'm going to start by simply reading the description from IMDb, and then we can sort of continue to reveal what we choose to reveal as we go on. Um, but basically, King Charles VI declares that knight Jean de Carouge settle his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. Stephen Miller, what did you think of The Last Duel? I So, first of all, I only remembered The Last Duel existed because... I think it was Damon had been on WTF like three months ago or something. And he mentioned this uh, movie that he and Ben Affleck wrote together. Um, And I just made a note of like, okay, interesting (laughs) medieval night movie penned by, you know, Affleck and Damon. Curious what that's going to be like, you know, what kind of goodwill hunting thing have they concocted? Uh, So tuck that in my back pocket. Didn't think about this movie again for the whole of three months until this weekend it was coming out. And I was like, oh, The Last Duel. I weirdly want to see that. I don't remember why, but I want to see this movie. And I read nothing about it, so I completely forgot that... Again, I I think you and I are both deciding how much we want to reveal or not reveal in a non-spoiler section. But from the trailer we just listened to, it is clear that... This is a movie about two men in a duel and a woman who is somehow at the center of it. Um, And it is about the power dynamics at play there. Like, what what does this mean for society? Um, I, I was so not ready for what this movie was about that I kind of had two movie experiences. There was the first maybe... 30 or 40 minutes of the movie where I found it to be very fun and kind of silly, like a playful tone. Everything about Ben Affleck's character just tells me this is going to be a (laughs) very playful, uh, over the top theatrical meaning like the stage movie, you know, it's going to be just very, very, very far out there. Um, and I was having a great time for what it was. I kind of couldn't tell what it was. Like I couldn't tell why the movie existed, but I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch you play dress up and do your do your nightly thing together. And then the real plot of the movie is revealed, the inciting event that we return to multiple times. And on one hand, I felt like suddenly what is this movie trying to do became very clear immediately. Like, okay, I get it. I get everything this movie is about now. I understand what is going to happen. Great. And I also felt like the tone that it had set up was so kind of bizarrely out of place for the seriousness of the subject matter that I never fully reconciled the laughs my audience was having with the heaviness of what was being depicted. Um, So where I'm left is I think this is mostly a pretty good movie in that like Ridley Scott cannot help but make a thing that is entertaining. Um, Yeah. The Are you duel, not entertained? <laughs> yeah, uh, the titular duel is v- very engrossing, I found. Like, uh, up there with, like, you know, season five Game of Thrones battles or something. Like, like it, it was, like, very well done. Yeah. Um, I think the the gender politics of the movie are interesting, if very surface level. 
Um, like it doesn't delve as deep as I feel like it definitely could have given the subject matter. But I feel like all of that entertaining movie with the silly Ben Affleck and the big laughs and the big epic feeling don't match the heaviness of the subject matter it wants to be bravely discussing. So ultimately, I feel like this is a movie that knows exactly what it wants to do. It does it clunkily, but with a lot of style. And I can't decide how much the clunky aspect of it is a betrayal of what it wants to do. And for that, I think we'd need to go into spoilers. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have a spoiler segment so we can kind of talk more explicitly about everything in this. Um, I do have one question for you, though. I want to I wanna posit a hypothetical for you. Um, I believe that half of the tone you're talking about is not on purpose. Mm. I think that Matt Damon and Adam Driver are woefully miscast in this film. They are there to sell tickets. They are draws for star power. But I think they are not good in this film. They don't exist in this universe. They are playing themselves. Like, well, for, Sorry, Matt Damon is playing Matt Damon in any other movie right. he's ever been in. Adam Driver is playing the version of him that appears as a guest spot on an episode of SNL that is making fun of this movie. Like he is <laughs> delivering lines with this weird up and down intonation. That's like, well, maybe I'll collect the taxes. It's like a, it's a very, it's a very character E thing where, and I think as the film progresses, he gets better, but it feels like, like I, I, I'm, I'm sure this isn't what happened, but it feels like one of those things where they shot this film in chronological order. He showed up thinking it was going to be one thing. And, <laughs> adjusted himself as the shoot went on to be more correct for the role that he was performing. But I think the initial, all the initial scenes with him where he's just like, Oh, I'll take a look at the books and uh, you know uh, how, but you are a King. How could your books be out of, uh, out of order? And that's just very strange. Like his, his delivery is weird. And Matt Damon is just, you know, just doing Matt Damon. Like, like <laughs> for him, it kind of works because of who he is playing. I think Matt Damon works, and it, it maybe helps that I watched Stillwater like two days before watching this movie, so I'm just in like, you know, redneck Matt Damon mode. <laughs> yeah, well, so so that being aside, I, I just I have a feeling that if you cast lesser known people in these roles, who could pr I mean, throw out the idea that no one even has a French accent and it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> They're all in the French military. Um, let, I think that other people in these roles could have been less distracting and could have performed it more periody instead of sure. modern day them. Um, Just when dealing with intent, you need to grapple with the Ben Affleck of it all because that is I, a choice. <laughs> that is a choice. And I think that choice works for that character. Like I, he is just as strange and tonally off as, as the other two but he works for me because I see him as this person in this role who would be like that in this moment. And the other two guys feel like they are fish out of water. He feels like he is the water and the fish, right? Mm. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm like pro <laughs> Ben Affleck in this film. I, part of it might just be, as we said at the beginning of the episode, the drawback of Affleck taking me way back. <laughs> Yeah. To when I used to go to movies, but, uh, but yeah, he didn't bother me. All that being said, this film is clearly dealing with, uh, uh, subject matter of our time. 
it is a period piece that is trying to be extremely modern in the way it talks about its subject matter. And I think that the way it talks about it is, as you said, it's a little bit clunky. It's a little too, let's do snaps and, and like, you know, bongos in the background as everybody goes like, yeah, what he said, or can you believe they believe this? And I think that some of the story, some of the scenes, the way they play off each other, feel like they, they are written to make you think one thing in a tropey way. But in the context of that story, in this universe, they aren't acting as a trope. It means one thing. So, for instance, um, the trope in films is a guy rolling off his girl and saying, is it good for you? Right? Yeah. That is a trope of the douchey boyfriend or douchey husband or whatever. Right? That is a trope. In this film, when that scene happens, it means something different. There are other things that the world thinks about of this time and when he asks that, it's not because he's a douche and he's like, that was great. Was it good for you? He hopes that it was good for a specific reason, right. which will come about he's later. He's a douche, but he, he's a douche with more pragmatic goals in, in yeah, asking that. Yeah, yeah, but, but it's written to be like people in my audience laughed when he said it. Right. Because to them, it was a douchey thing. I'm not defending him. What I'm saying is in the moment, that character had one thing on his mind. Yeah. And while that thing was flawed he was not being the douchey role. So it feels like the we'll film is... We'll have to talk about that thing in spoilers too, just in what this movie educated me of some of the counterintuitive ways certain things were prioritized in medieval times yeah, yeah. that I kind of thought weren't discovered till like 1960. <laughs> That's what I mean, like, right? Like it, it's, it's wanting to play with modern tropes, but mm-hmm. then take information and surprise you with the idea of things. But then it's written like whenever people are saying stupid stuff they are saying it with a modern lens in the past and it feels a little jarring to be like okay i don't think they would have said it this way or i don't think they would talk about these subjects in this matter um so that's the kind of what i what i what i don't like or what kind of made me not so happy about some things this film was doing i think the the twist on the three-act structure i think is a very very intelligent way to present the story um there is the, the, the structure makes you assume the structure means one thing. And then by the time you have viewed these three vantage points of one story, the third one has so much more weight and meaning, even though the events don't change between the second and third. It, it, so I, I think that the that, way... That is a thing we'll definitely have to talk about because I'm still curious the degree to which the events don't change between number two and number three puzzles me a little bit it's so i i it before i knew that there was going to be three when the second one ended i was like huh i kind of feel like there doesn't need to be a third part way through the third i went oh i'm an idiot they wanted me to feel this way this makes a hundred percent sense this story does not work without the third um Mm -hmm. so that's that was sort of the journey that i went on to that story um so I, I really like the overall narrative and the way it's presented to us, especially the, the, the ping-ponging between the vantage points of the stakes for each individual in this group. Um, that I thought was really, really impactful and did exactly what it needed to. And that didn't feel clunky for me. That, that felt like the good version of this story. Um, so the dialogue, a little bit worrisome, just as far as how clunky it is. Performances of Adam Driver <laughs> and Matt Damon didn't really work for me. Narrative overall worked for me. Structure worked for me. 
Um, obviously, the action um, was amazing in this film. Yeah. There, there is one part where like I audibly just started laughing. And it's when there's a character who is watching something just goes, yes. Yep. <laughs> and I just burst into <laughs> laughter because that's what, exactly what I was thinking in that moment. Um, yeah. I, and, and also, like, we have nice headphones. We watch films in them all the time. Sounds great. You do get the feeling of being enveloped in the sound because they're good headphones. You don't feel the sound the way that you do sitting in a theater of feeling yeah, every very different. Yeah. Every hoof, uh, uh, clattering in the mud, um, the, you know, the chain mail, the, the lances, you know, bouncing off of shields. Like all of that was just incredible to sit in the action of this film. Um, so it's like, so I think good overall structure and story, great action. Um, and a little bit of clunkiness in there, but overall I really enjoy this film. Nice. I, this is one of those things where I don't really know how to talk about it much without spoilers, I think. I, I find it... I think it is a very interesting movie to unpack, but I don't know how to unpack it, like, just aesthetically. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, like, I think it is so wrapped up in what the movie is about and the ways that I think it it fails to do that, but then is also very entertaining, almost in spite of that. It, I, I found it very odd. It, I, I still don't really know how I feel about this movie. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be really honest. I So I remember seeing links to this film being posted. Not links to the film, but links to the trailer for this film being, being posted. And I was like, is it coming to streaming? I don't care. And I didn't really check into it. I watched a trailer semi-recently for it, just like so I could have an idea of what it actually was going to be about. I had not picked up until the moment you said it that that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon had written this film together. Yeah. And I don't know how that makes me feel about what I watched. They they did co-write it with uh, Nicole Hall of Center who did like Can You Ever Forgive Me? So they did bring a female author yeah, yeah. in as well, but at least the way um the way Damon described it in his interview is it was like him and Ben wanted to get get another go, like get back in the ring and then they brought her on. So it <laughs> maybe i'm wrong and he was just like giving a very very egocentric account but it felt like they were like wouldn't it be fun to do like a medieval movie but yeah. it also makes me think like matt damon is known for many things one of them is every time he tries to speak in an interview on any social subject he winds yeah. up embarrassing himself um and i think it makes a lot of sense to think of this movie as damon and affleck trying to speak intelligently on a social issue and miscalibrating like not being wrong they're right in what they try to do but being clunky and maybe more proud of themselves than they should be and yeah. i i think it it is fun to think of this as a matt damon interview turned into a movie basically yeah. of like believe women in one very specific case kind of but also find entertainment value in the other people <laughs> yeah i just it's just weird that the original title of this was the last man's plane <laughs> <laughs> so i have a question for you why is this the last duel well yeah the, so <laughs> that was the one question that i wanted to bring up actually um at least i was thinking about it before we sat down to record um when it is posed that they should duel 
um, somebody leans over to, to King Charles VI and says, um, Sir, we don't do duels anymore. They were outlawed. Or he says they were outlawed or something like that. And somebody leans to him and says, like, actually, just no one's done it for a long time. They're not really outlawed, though. <laughs> And yeah. so I assume that after this duel, no more duels took place? <laughs> I, I guess not, like, official royal court sanctioned duels. I mean, we all know Aaron Burr. You know, we've seen the God <laughs> yeah. <Hill> commercial. <laughs> There's, there are other duels, yes, in history. Yep. Um, I, I want to I ask you one more question, just completely non-spoilery. Um, you know, when we go to theaters, we... Uh, there are good seats and there are bad seats. There are some sure. theaters where mostly all the seats are great, but sometimes there might be like a rail that obs- obscures your view. Or if you're at like a sports stadium, that's what they're called, right? <laughs> sure. Sports arena. You're at a sports arena. Sometimes there is a load bearing beam that obscures part of your view mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of the match, right? Uh, there are some big flyover aerial shots of the arena where this last duel is going to take place. Now, for those who haven't seen the film yet or watched the trailer, it is a big rectangular space. That rectangular space, you know, it's kind of wide, wide enough to have like a small set of stands. You know, on one side, there might be a king and his queen, a uh, prince and princess, uh, other people on the court, blah, 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 blah. But then outside, there is just rungs of people screaming yep. and cheering as though they can see what's about to happen in this. They are all at ground level. This isn't like a, you know, Greek amphitheater, right? This is just a little castle in the center of a dirt lot. And everybody outside is just like, what's happening? Yeah. Did he get him? <laughs> right? Like, I just don't know what all those people were there to watch because they couldn't see I shit. Mean, there wasn't a lot to do for entertainment back then in the 1300s. I think hearing other people scream as they watch a man beat another man to death, like that's probably about as good as you could do. Like just being near it, hearing, vibing off that energy. Yeah. I think I think back then that what what else are you going to do with your time? Like get the plague? Like you can't you can't do anything. <laughs> True. I will say just because you brought up the three-act structure or the kind of riff on a three-act structure, uh, which is another thing I didn't know the movie was going to do. It, it's kind of funny. Both movies we talk about today base themselves in like explicitly labeled chapters, which is weird. They do it very differently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but th- this movie, so it it plays out like it is going to be the Rashomon thing of like we are seeing it from one vantage point and then a second vantage point and then a third vantage point but as you kind of alluded to it is not that it is placing equal narrative weight on the three vantage points and just illuminating things differently it is really like telling the broad strokes of a story zooming in to fill in some gaps for us about it and then telling it again in a way where we can see the whole of a story it's like looping back multiple times to try to reveal more that build complications into the narrative where you could trace how you feel about it as if you were watching an introduction and then rising tension and then further escalation until the moment the duel happens so it it is kind of interesting that it like 
it makes it be like three different angles of viewing the movie, but it still plays with the feeling of like a normal three act structure, just in terms of like how you emotionally feel yeah. when you watch it. And I, th- I thought that was clever. I don't know if other multiple vantage points movies have done that before, but I do think they, they did that well. Well, Stephen, is there anything, any last things that you can say that don't require spoilers that we can try to hit real fast before we do this transition? No, I, I don't think so. All right. Uh, then for all you listeners who haven't seen the film yet or don't want to be spoiled, let's get to verdicts. Stephen, if you were going to give us a must-see, a recommend of the caveat, wait for until pass with the caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Uh, I'm, I think I'm giving it like a recommend with a caveat, probably a little bit more on the caveat side than the recommend side. I think, I think this is a very interesting movie. Um, I think it is trying to do something admirable, and I think in spite of itself, it can't help but be entertaining because this is Ridley Scott directing a movie with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and um, Adam Driver. And like, even if the movie insists that the action should not be the focal point, it becomes the focal point and it is very entertaining in theaters to sit there and watch it happen. Yeah. Um, at the same time, for all the popcorn value that it has, I think in what it wants to say about society and in particularly believing women, this is like, like a 101 class project that thinks it's a PhD thesis. Like, I, I think this is nowhere near as piercing as it wants to be. And I think some of the choices in what to shoot and where to linger and in, in how long to make us sit with it yeah. is cringy and it says an 84 year old man directed this and probably shouldn't have um <laughs> and we'll talk about it in spoilers but that makes me feel conflicted so i, yeah. I but like i i think this is both trying to do something good and arguably problematic and entertaining but the entertainment is also makes me feel weird um but it works even though it kind of shouldn't and i think that's where where i land on the movie plenty of caveats to it but the entertainment value is undeniable yeah for me it's a recommend of the caveat as well i think that the film the idea of what this film is doing is interesting and it's compelling and i think it does it well the dialogue that is supposed to say to you can you believe that they thought this back then is not doing what it thinks it's doing. It is not biting enough to be um, shocking or anything. It's just like a. It's 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 too much. Like, yeah, that's insane. I can't believe that. Like, it, you know, it, it's not doing what it is. I think the way it frames its subject matter becomes insightful over time, and because of that, I think it sort of washes over a little bit away of the the stilted way it tried to say its message at times like the way it shows its message good the way it says its message not so good the way it acts its message less good too um to its credit um those scenes that you're talking about being cringy still not as cringy as the morning gale or whatever that movie was called <laughs> mm. <laughs> um but uh but yeah so i i i enjoyed it overall i will say too it does feel like a all the all the uh the medieval politics not social politics but like literal medieval politic lords and everything that would be more interesting if it was given more time but this feels like a 
the last six seasons of Game of Thrones in eight minutes type of video you see on YouTube where it's right. like this person did this and he gave the land to this person and that person did the thing. It's, it's like it's going by it so quickly because it needs to get to the inciting moment, which yeah. is what is causing all the events to take place. Um, so I think that like this feels like it could be a good like a, a good medieval thing that you are watching, um, but it is saddled. Fucking, that's pun enough to count. I got um, <laughs> in in the things it's trying to say, and it doesn't always say it eloquently. But uh, Jody Comer's great in it. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, glad to, glad to see her. Very very different role than the last one we reviewed her in. Free guy <laughs> kind of shows a, a range. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so that is uh, the main part of the review for our review of The Last Duel. We're going to close it out for non-spoilery folks. So Stephen, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, people can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to The Last Duel. It is playing right now. That music's going to fade up, and when that music fades out, we will be in full-blown spoilers. So if you don't want a lance to hit you, then don't get on. <laughs> I don't know where I was going. Chris, enough with this verbal jousting. Let's uh <laughs> get into the meat. <laughs> All right, we are back. This is Spoiler Territory. It's the after part of our review of The Last Duel. We are talking full-blown spoilers, so watch out if you haven't seen the film and don't want to be spoiled. Stephen Miller, what do you want to hit first? I, I mean, so first we can finally say the actual plot of the movie is the duel takes place because um, Matt Damon, Jean de Carreau's wife, Marguerite, claims that while he was away, Adam Driver's character, Jacques Legree, forced himself into their house and assaulted her and, and left. Like, he, he raped her. And this is what escalates and escalates into a duel because he says, no, I didn't. Matt Damon says, I believe my wife. Have at it. And so the, the reductive way to describe this story is it is a Me Too story of the 1300s. It is believe a woman when she says that something happened to her, have at it. Now, to your point, I don't think that is really all that the movie is trying to say. I think the third chapter is very interesting in trying to color that a bit more, but if we rewind and just take how that is revealed, um, it's maybe 30 or 40 minutes in, like the end of Matt Damon's session, Jean de Carreau's story, yep. where we learn what what happened when Marguerite says that she was raped by Jacques Legree. 
And for me, that was a huge surprise. Like, I had no idea the movie was going to be about that. I didn't know the movie was going to deal with that subject matter at all. And right away, what was strange to me is I feel like one or two scenes after that revelation the audience was laughing about some archaic medieval thing again. And like, already, I, I just felt totally again, like, huh, it's been a while since I've heard a movie that like openly discusses sexual assault and then like just has laugh lines again shortly after. But okay, I don't know what this movie is doing yet. I'm going to give it a watch. Then cut to the story as told by Jacques Legree. And you think you know where this is going, right? You think this is going to be his story is that it was consensual she has been flirting with him. She committed adultery with him. Their bond grows. And he will say that, like, she maybe even thrust herself on him and that that was going to be the narrative. Nah. Jack Legree's <laughs> narrative is... It's that he super raped her. Yeah. I went to the house. She said no. She ran away. I refused to listen to her nose. I, you know, I raped her. She continued to say no. And then I left. That scene is shot in a way where it plays out in real time and we are made to see her horror, see what Adam Driver is doing. And the Adam Driver is just like a, a fucking tall goofball. And it is, it is very hard for me already there to see him raping someone and take it in the serious manner that I think the subject is meant to be taken and that I think the movie wants me to take it in. Like, there there was something inherently icky about how light it felt and how long it went on while feeling light. And I, I was very confused. I was like, if that's what you're showing me now, why are we even later? having a third chapter? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think what you were alluding to, and sorry, I don't want to suck up all the oxygen, you were alluding that the real revelation of the third chapter is not how horrible the assault was for uh, Marguerite. It is how horrible the aftermath was and how even uh, Matt Damon's supposed support of her still puts her in a horrible bind and people generally are not believing her. And the third is about how complicated it is even for her to come forward and how this is a world where she cannot win. And in the end, what we're watching is two brutish men fighting over a thing that is not actually her, but something else. Um, love all that on paper. I was really hoping the third time around when it was clear, that's what it wanted to be about. It wouldn't yet again, make us watch in real time. Adam driver's assault with changes. Like it is more horrifying the second time around, but not enough more that I feel like it added to the story. And I feel like one of those could have gone and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I just felt weird about how much the movie decided to linger on this, especially because after the Adam driver narrative is depicted, he goes over to Ben Affleck's house and they, Ben Affleck is given like laugh lines and they're being very quippy about how to cover it up and everything. And yeah. my audience at least was roaring at that part in a way that I was just like, man, we, we just watched Sexual Assault, and I know this is a movie, but, like, why are we all laughing right now? What the movie wants to be about, something serious, why does it feel like people playing dress-up? And I, I never rectified that. That was the biggest problem with it to me. So you're touching on a lot of different parts. 
So first of all, backing all the way up, I I didn't know very much going into this film, but I knew I had seen the trailer once. So I understood that there is, um, you know, like there's the lines in the trailer where she's like, but I'm married. And then there's other lines where she's like talking about what has happened. And my expectation going into this film is or was to see a more traditional narrative where we, the audience, don't know what to believe. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that is kind of what you expect from this sort of story. Um, when we first are introduced to having the scene happen, um, it is we are seeing it from the point of view of some guy who has just come home from uh i believe he just was that when he went to get paid or did he fight somewhere yeah he had been fighting and then he went to paris to get paid I okay think. and then he came home and his wife tells him that she was raped by his i get the description talks about it like he's still his squire but i assume ex-squire <laughs> ex-friend yeah. ex-squire um somebody who he has had a rival with this this entire time she says the thing happened he says are you telling me the truth she says yes and he goes like okay and we, as the audience goers, like, we kind of know what the movie we're going to watch, but we don't know the events that actually transpired, right? Like, that's, you're, you're thinking you're going to watch a film where it wants to play in the gray area of, could it be real or could it be not real, right? Yeah. Which I think would be worse, <laughs> by the way. For, for, you mean like because of the way it plays with the tone throughout the rest of the film? I, I think making a did he or didn't he about sexual assault would be probably handled even more clunkily and worse. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, because it, it would make it be like a nail biting mystery. And it's like, oh, this this doesn't have to be a nail biter. Yeah, yeah. But but I but I think it was kind of shocking to see from Adam Driver's character to see like it it not even be a tiny bit gray it's just like 100 yeah. percent, like full-on just just raper and it wasn't even trying to be coy about it like his character says like oh well she was doing the ladylike thing and saying no but i mean huh like it's not even playing in the area of being gray it's just like yep this happened now we're gonna deal with it and i think that because you're expecting it to drag out what actually happened and then it just shows you what happened. It makes you go like, so case solved, like even in his own admission, this happened like this. But what's weird is the court case is him denying that anything happened at all, which yeah. is what feels like it's talking about today's mindset and the way that when an accusation comes out, a politician just denies, 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 no matter what they asked. And like, like that line Ben Affleck was not talking to Adam Driver. He was talking right. to the audience and he was going, you know how it is. Yeah, he's telling us, hey, remember, remember 2019? You know, that, that's yeah. basically what that line is. Yeah. And that's when this film like is, is, is at its worst is when it's like talking to the audience, like winking and nudging at them. Um, but, but anyways, going back to what I was saying is, is you, it, it's just, it's a weird structure to put in this film where it's like, the this is not... This is not your classic medieval tale of it was this was like a torrid secret romance sort of thing and they got caught and now there's this like struggle between these two men over this woman. It's just straight up this is what happened and now it's two men warring and one guy just going like nah 
I took your land and I took your wife and now just fucking deal with it guy. And then it's just him trying to, to, uh, to, to deny it. And it's like, we're not watching a court case. Um, we're just watching two men saying like, he said a lot of lies and did a bad thing. And the other guy going like, I don't think I did any of that. It's cool. And then it's not until the third go around where we actually get the deposition of, of like what it's like to be interrogated when you're just trying to speak truth to power and like you having to relive all these moments just because somebody doesn't believe you. And like, that's when you get the actual thing that this is trying to do, which is not just, here's a story. We all know what happened. Can't we just punish a person? It is really a story about the victim of this crime, not even being an active participant in the getting justice for what's happening. They're just a passive bystander who has to suffer again, just that the other two people who are not the ones who suffered before can have their own battle. And I think that that is when it becomes kind of interesting what it's doing. And those are all sort of the subtext of what's going on. The literal text of the page is still feels very, very clunky, but like that experience for, her her character is impactful in a way that feels like what this whole movie is trying to do. Yeah, well, like, an example of the subtext versus text is, like, around that time when this is being revealed, one of the characters who is giving advice, like a legal person or something, says, well, technically, a rape is considered a property law, so the violation is to Jean de Carouge and not to Lady Marguerite. And it's like, Again, that's one of those moments where I feel like they are looking at the camera and telling you, hey, isn't this crazy? Isn't this shit crazy? Aren't you upset about it? Well, even um, even in that one moment, though, wasn't that character on her side? Like, I think so. Yeah, he was like saying like it, it, it was kind of like the look, this system's fucked. This sucks. But this is just the way it is. So you're not going to have any luck because this is the current. It, it, that one felt the less preachy the least preachy mm-hmm. because he wasn't talking to the audience. He was talking to her and just letting her know like the reality of the situation she's playing into in a way that wasn't like it. That one felt yeah, more. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I still felt like there were moments like that that were just underlining what didn't need to be underlined Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I think Jodie Cummer does a great job. Like she doesn't need any of this to be underlined. It is very obvious how horrible a bind she is in and how, much i think her feelings towards matt damon's character are maybe the most interesting dynamic in this movie because at at once in that moment he is her savior he is her only hope she has to want him to win the duel she need she is glad that he chooses to believe her and to support her quote in terms of going through with the claim making sure it gets heard. And then she also resents how transactional he sees the relationship and how much is about him, you know, keeping his machismo rather than actually avenging her in some way. Yeah. Um, And I think that combination of resentment and genuine, maybe affection is the wrong word, but like he is her only hope. And also she resents that. I think that dynamic is really interesting. And, And by the end, I don't know if I look at Matt Damon as like, just a douche or like a douche who did in his clumsy way manage to be a quote ally to his wife yeah or well, well, 
like i don't know how the ending is supposed to feel so there is so there's two points i want to make kind of like about what you directly just said so one is like your your initial point about the way she sees her husband i think i think when one of the most interesting moments is in her retelling um where where he has just sided with her like i believe you i believe you but then his next line is is how could he do evil to me where it's like she is in that moment she is like grateful that he believes her but then immediately that is taken away from her because she sees that he is mad because somebody did something to his wife not because she has been violated so it's like it's like yeah and then he he doubles down in one of the like most cruel moments in the movie i feel like um yeah it's it's rough yeah but but then to the, to the other point is you, you talked about by the end, I don't know whether we're supposed to see him as a douche uh, or not. I mean, I, I don't, I don't hundred percent know either, but there is an interesting thing that happens at the end. Once he's won the duel is he could prounce around and be like, fuck yeah, I am a fucking God of men. Right. But instead he like, he points to her as though she has triumphed yeah. in this moment, not him. So it's like an inst- interesting, like it's, it's very minor, like he's done the littlest thing in the world. But there is a yeah. moment where like his adrenaline has died off a little bit and he is realizing that like, yeah, I just killed this guy. But also like I like she killed this guy by having been true with what she was saying, where it's, it's kind of like it's it's a. There, I don't know, there's something interesting that he's doing that feels like he has a small realization in that moment where he twists his celebration and sort of is, is like willing to stand down for a second to like show her in the spotlight, um, yeah. which, which was interesting. Now, but, here's the question. Do you think Jean de Carouge or Carouge? Yeah, I think yeah. You, you say the J, but not the S. <laughs> um, yeah, and Jacques yeah. Legree, do you think they believe that duels are determined by God based on the truth or falsity of the claim. So I watched this film and I believe that people believe this in this world, in the 1300s. I think that they believe it to be true. And that is why Adam driver tries to like at the end, not die by saying, oh, yeah, I'll banish my soul to hell if I'm lying. Like, I tell you that I'm like, he wants him to in that moment, give up and believe him. Right. Mm-hmm. Because he's not trying. He, he doesn't he doesn't pray to the heavens. He prays to Jean de Carouge. Right. right. <laughs> like he, he is asking him to absolve him of his sin because he can't absolve himself of him. Like he is trying to fight against truth. Like now just it's going back to being a stupid metaphor <laughs> the more I talk. Yeah. But like but to me I believe that these people believe that. That is why like like the line the line in the trailer where she's saying where he's like, I am putting my life on the line for you and she says, No, you're putting your life on the line or my life on the line for your ego or whatever. I I don't know one hundred percent if that is true if everyone wholeheartedly believes that God is literally deciding who wins this fight. You know, like, so it's, it's a weird, like, I don't, I'm not a scholar of the 1300. Like, like she clearly doesn't believe God is deciding. Correct. Or she wouldn't have the fear that she has. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, and it does make one wonder, if Adam Driver believes God is deciding, does that mean just like his version of the story that we witness is atrocious, do we believe that he believes that that is still fine? 
and like in his heart of hearts he believes that her saying that it was um not something she desired or not something she invited is just like an impossibility that he can't fathom but but that but that's that's the thing that that weirds me out a little bit of his defense in the context of the story is he's never arguing that they had a torrid love affair because they were both just so into each other. Like that is not the movie we're watching. We're not watching a man who raped a woman and claims that she like loved him. He's flat out saying nothing ever happened. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a weird denial that he is making that, that like, I don't, that that's where it feels like this this film is trying to be one thing and say one set of of statements and is not trying to make a story that makes sense <laughs> right mm. so <sighs> yeah and i guess that is how the actual case went down though i'm not i'm not sure but i guess they couldn't flip what his actual statement was yeah. um but yeah it is it It is strange because I feel like they are both fighting with the passion as if they might lose. Um, not as if they are having it be revealed. Like Jean de Carouge, I can't tell if he believes if he loses, it means his wife is guilty. Or if in that moment he just sees it as like, I believe my wife, I'm avenging her at the end. Yeah, I... I so once again, I don't even think that... I, when I watched the film, because Matt Damon is, he's, he's not just a pure douche. He is sort of just a whiny brat. Yeah. So to me, I think this is telling teacher and teacher Mm -hmm. is the king and God, right? Like he is, he is like, if you won't admit it, I'm going to go tattle and then we both get detention, except for detention is a fight to the death, right? Like, so it, it, yeah. there is a way where I think that, like, he is just, I want to speak to the manager. <laughs> I want to speak to the guy upstairs, right? That, that, yep. is, that is kind of the way that I see. I, I, I believe he earnestly feels that this is the only way. It's not a, I'm going to kill this guy, but everybody already hates me. So the only way to kill him is if I kill him under the guise of this being a duel, I think he literally believes that this is the only way the truth will come out. That now, I was promised the pineapple sweet in my dowry. <laughs> and I will, <laughs> I will get it. I don't know. Do, do you feel, do you feel differently? Like, cause it sounds like maybe you feel that he is literally fighting for his own honor and happens to, to help her. Yeah. And, I, I can't tell. I think, and maybe this is just, <laughs> the vibe Matt Damon gives off. Uh, And maybe again, it's the Stillwater effect where he plays like in Stillwater, he plays a very flawed character who like knows he's a fuck up, but wants to channel his energy to do right by someone that he cares about. So maybe I'm coming in with a little bit of that splash zone, but how I read him here, setting aside the horrible horrible things that are revealed in uh, Marguerite's story that show how he is insensitive, how he uses her, how, you know, husbands treat wives as objects, like setting all that aside as just like table stakes for medieval times, uh, it being a horrible time and place for women. Yeah. I feel like Matt Damon is meant to be seen as the kind of the, the dumb brute who mostly tries to be loyal and he is trying to be loyal to his wife in the way that he knows how, 
which is punch, 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 stab, stab, stab. Yeah. Um, and her relationship to him as the duel goes on is kind of realizing he is the brute, he is the racehorse or whatever that she has to bet on. And I think there is some genuine affection there, even if it isn't an equal feeling of love. But I think there is a... He knows that he he's basically serving his queen. In that moment, he is doing the the other side of the like man is the head of the household bullshit where he is like but also i will fight to the death to defend this person yeah um and that's kind of how i read it so like not that he trusts that god will prevail i think his moment when adam driver when uh jacques legree says i i swear to you you know it was not I forget in that moment if he admits that something happened, but he swears that I think it he says, was... I did not do these things or something like that. Mm. I feel like that moment, Matt Damon's response, damning him to hell, is his, like, the fugitive, I don't care. It's him <laughs> saying, like, I'm in too deep. I'm doing this to defend my wife, and I don't even care anymore. Um, that was kind of how I read it. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess for me... The one thing that's weird is you're watching a period piece where people are saying the lines of dialogue that are like, this is what we believe the, you know, royal, literal, what royal we at this time. Mm. And I take that at face value, right? Like you are literally doing the worst version of world building right now where you are saying, these are the rules. And then I go, them's the rules. And I watch your film like adhering to those rules, like whether I think it's, correct or moral or whatever i go this is what you believe at the time i'm going to take every word you say as being in line with these principles and that's how i'm going to judge like why you're doing what you're doing so that's why it feels kind of like he actually believes that 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 not not that he thinks it's going to give him strength but he just believes that he will prevail um but i i I will say this everything we have seen about this film before the duel starts is that Matt Damon is the better fighter and he should in equal combat best Adam driver. That is sort of what they've established, right? As far as like, you know, every line that Adam driver says about uh, Matt Damon's battle prowess is, is always like, yes, I don't know any man who could best him in battle, blah, 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 like that kind of stuff. And it's like, Mm -hmm. he should by all accounts, win this fight regardless of whether god intervenes or if anything was on the line he should win right so i was definitely watching this film being like man i feel like he's gonna lose because that feels like the story i'm watching right like i assume this film ends with her burning at the stake um and see can i tell you what i wanted it to do i wanted them both to die (laughs) i I wanted it to be ambiguous where they are both wrong both die and rule the earth. So this is the thing that I feared. So I, I was like, I was like, there's no way she comes out of this alive. So when he wins the fight, I was like, this seems too easy. Like it, like it felt like I am like, I'm watching a story that is trying to shock me. So I was like, there's no way it's not going to watch her. Cause it, there's that line where the guy says like, you know, oftentimes it can take up to 20 minutes before a person being burned alive dies or something like that. Um, yeah. which, I don't think it's true because I'm pretty sure the flames get rid of all the oxygen and you pass out before. Anyways, I'm not an expert on steak burning people. Um, yeah, neither were they probably. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, but so, so that line, I'm like, there's no way this film doesn't end with her, like just an unbroken take of her burning at the stake, right? Like there's no way it's not like a slow 
pan in to just her screaming and writhing and like, like that just felt like the film we were watching when he wins the fight i'm like all right so they're not going to do that and i was like no he is still going to bleed out and after everybody's been celebrating for five minutes he'll he'll like bleed out and fall over and everybody's like well i guess she really did do it <laughs> and, and then burn her anyways and i was like if, like so I, was, I had two moments where i was like i expected it i was relieved it didn't happen and then i still feared that she was going to get burned alive by the end of the film um but then yeah. they they ride away happily um yeah so it's true so one thing you mentioned before is the like was that good for you scene and the um the implication that we are taught in the movie is that uh a woman experiencing pleasure having her small death which i believe is still the french translation of orgasm like i think that's still the word they use for that really is like yeah like her little death her small death um it was seen as a necessary precondition to getting pregnant. Yeah. Um, and it, like, it surprises me that in the 1300s that was seen as an important thing. Um, like, I wonder who slipped that into the rules. Like, what, what, what woman got a hold of it, like, a rule book and was like, mm, let's, uh, let's spread this story about, like, the only way that you can actively conceive as if your wife experiences pleasure um it, it's interesting i mean it's it's also terrible in its own way because I mean, it makes this like sterile cross-examination that quite quite literally takes the phrase that that republican politician said before about like how you can't get pregnant if it's rape yeah um this like very literally argues that but then at the same time a, a part of me was like well france was like a little bit more progressive about female sexuality that i kind of would have given it credit for yeah i i steven i did not uh google whether that uh information came from history or just from the the minds of ben affleck and matt damon um so i can't i can't really speak to to if they really thought about it that much back then yeah my my safe search keeps blocking and man i try so I, yeah. I, I can't tell but yeah, definitely in that moment, though, like as I was saying earlier, it's like Ben or, or Matt Damon is trying to produce an error. So he is mm -hmm. not just being the douchey guy who is like, yo, babe, was that good for you? He is like, are we getting an error this time? <laughs> yeah, I did laugh. I did chuckle a little bit, though, like on their when they uh, consummate their marriage on the first night <laughs> when he goes, that seemed pretty good. Maybe we conceived a child tonight. <laughs> Like, <laughs> that one was pretty douchey, for sure. Yeah. It's also, that is another example of the multiple vantage points being um, effective, because in his telling, in his story, the wedding night ends with him saying, like, my lady, you, have, you, you need not fear. You have nothing to be afraid of, right? It, uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure there have been movies set in medieval times or Game of Thrones, something like that, where the the new husband is like a gentleman who does not, you know, doesn't force himself upon uh, upon his wife because he knows she's not ready. And then in her telling of it, like there is just still this like loveless kind of rote, boring sex where he's just like on top of her grinding away and then saying like, we, I hope we had a kid tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just funny that like he feels all like gallant and whatever. And her memory is just like, yeah, no, the first night was still awful. <laughs> yeah. I said that one of the funniest things, which is like shown in this film, but it is not something that is like 
beat upon too much. Um, it's just the idea that like the the consummation process of the wedding is a bigger act than just the couple. It's like the priest and like a bunch of people are gathered around the bed while they're all praying at the foot of the bed and everybody's like blessing yeah. the bed. And they're like, all right, you know what you're about to do here, right? We know we'll be right outside. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> hey, I mean, even um, group sex is clearly a thing here. I mean, like Ben Affleck has no problem at a, at a party dragging Adam over and then they're... That was one of the more jarring scenes in the movie is where they're like playing with the, you know, the ladies like picking them up and running around, which obviously is kind of like foreshadowing later how Adam Driver is going to see um, his behavior with uh, Margaret. Yeah. But like all of a sudden in that scene, I'm like, oh, oh, they're having sex right now <laughs> in, in this like crowded party at, uh, at Pierre's place. And then, and then you're doubly shocked when Ben Affleck just joins. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, okay, okay, there you go. Yep. Cool. Come on in, take off your pants. <laughs> All right. Well, on that on that beautiful note, <laughs> any last thoughts about the film, Stephen? Spoilery or not? Nope. Cool. All right, well, that is it. Um... We have another film that we're going to be talking about uh, recording an episode of uh, this weekend that'll help tide you over while we wait to see Dune next week. And uh, yeah, we will see you back in future episodes. Bye. Bye.